Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Come on. Come on. Beauty! Right way around and everything. Here we go! Robert Monroe, Chris Bell, Eva... Eve, Rebecca Brooks, Greg Haylott, Jason Brooks, Gary Allen, Linda Dublin, Christian Wagner from Stavanger, Norway, Andy Ray, Red Five Shilling, and Jack Jack, the dog from Plymouth. Matthew Greenup, happy anniversary. Patrick Wouters, hello. Luxembourg. Uh, Elie Verostin, Grotigan, Gross, Scott Stewart, evening mate. Neil Cotterill, good evening. Paul Love, Walsall, Annette Graham from Sunny Brum, Richard Hall from Winchester. Uh, Humberto Beto Mallard from Brazil yeah goal Sean Holiday from Cumbria Steve Welsh from Methyl Darren Wells Kevin Bremner from Arbroath Ima Van Buskel Busicom Nita Schlicker from Bayern Colin McDonald Good Day from Edinburgh Sir John Brown Stephen Donald from Elgin Manuel Costa Duarte Dada, thank you very much for all the happy anniversary things isn't this weird <laughs> see you a little shaved. I was. Uh, it, I, I I thought I better trim, better trim tonight, and I put on the good the good dungarees as well. It's all dumpy go away. Uh, so, and a very happy Erdinger evening to you all. It's the sun's out. It's great. There we are. Oh, jackdaw! I've got these jackdaws that go on the the bird fields. They're getting on. They're really clever bastards. They really are. So. They go up there and it's the, they, they've kind of, they actually manage, to, they hang on one thing and eat from the other feeder and stuff. And like, it's interesting to watch them all balance off, it's really cool. Well, we have a look outside. Got new stuff. Well, did, yeah, I've got new stuff. It was, um, it's great, all the flowers coming through. It's like every kind of day there's something else happens and it's just wonderful. He's gone. Look at this lot. Gorgeous. Absolutely brilliant. I'm loving it here. We've been doing loads of stuff. And uh, I've got that bay tree to move next week because I found out it's put it in completely the wrong position. It's overly windswept. Right. And this mad herbs. It's all coming together. It really is coming together. And this lot. I got this week. They're LED bulbs and they look brilliant. They look great. And I've, I've, I've switched them on on the table. I've not hung them up yet because I'm waiting on an electrician to come because it's got a plug on it, right? And that's the distance from the plug to the first bulb, right? That's it. It's like five feet. So I'll try, and I've got an electric wire up there. So what I've got to try and do is get the, get an outside socket. Because if I get that socket put on there, then I can plug the bulbs in. And we've got a lovely little, little kind of like, it's the big beer at the shows. 
Yes, it's like being at the shows. But all the roses. That rose there is called the Borgimal Rose. And it's named after Borgimal. That was my wife's big Irish wolfhound. And she bought that after he died just to be part of his memory. And the thing was, we always wanted Borgimal to come across here. And that was always the dream that we'd have a big giant wolfhound, Irish wolfhound here. And he could bound, got a big garden to bound about in and stuff like that. And sadly, he died of cancer. We had to put down. So she got that rose, and that's the Borgimil rose. And it loves it here. And it grows away splendidly. And that sun came from Dulac as well. But we've got a lot of things. Some um, magnolias and stuff. But this is the lights. This is my lights for hanging over the pergola. So it'll be like, you know, being at a pub. <laughs> And these are all charging, so you might even see them at the end of the night. And that is my floodlight for the cabin. So when Taz and her boyfriend, John, will come, and when Mona and Tara, Simona's kids come across, they can kind of be out there, and we'll have the outside toilet kicking off. And a floodlight, so that when they walk about, they can, they're can they not going to trip over Marie's beds. And it's called the backstage area. We're calling the cabin the backstage area. Look at all this stuff. Amazing. That's all crap lies about. It's all crap. I did. I've got to go to the other side because it's um, a loose signal. If by any chance we lose signal tonight, hang on in there. I'll come back on. I'm, I don't walk away. I just have to find. I have to wait patiently for the broadband thing. But I phoned up the company, Lothian Broadband, that supplies. Because we don't have a BT thing here, we've got to get satellite broadband. So I phoned them up and I said, "This is a big program tonight. Can we please get it sorted?" So hopefully they have listened. But look at that. Isn't that great? Stevie Vance has talked me into this and I've been meaning to get the tags cleared, right? The weeding machine that is my mother is never redundant, right? Because I've got a big Kercher power washer and I brought it out and I did all that area last week. Done all the tags. They're called tags, little cobbles. And those are, um, that's chives that's grown kind of wild. They grow in the cracks, so I avoided them. But because I took the pressure washer to them, it kind of took all the, the, the stuff out in between the, in between the tags and it threw it all everywhere and I made a bloody mess. That I've still got to clean up. Look at a duck. <laughs> Duck's covered in shit. It was, uh, I was absolutely clarry. It was like being a little boy, but I was really proud of this, right? Because this is the West Wall. And I've got Virginia Creeper. I planted Virginia Creeper there. And ideas for that to go up. That was one last year, but it fucked up. And um, I've got Virginia Creepers. And I tidied up all that clematis and the, the jasmine there. So the idea is that that wall will grow and become a wall of colour. But it's good, it's a West Wall. So it's, um, it catches a lot of the sun. But it's looking great. The hyacinths and everything just bounding out now. It just makes you feel good, you know? And it's like, and this lot's all coming through. But Simone's been like, rabbits have been on at the, the herbs, which has been a pain. But, um, and it's Easter. Isn't that funny? All coming together. But yeah, it's been, um, it's been positive. It's been feeling positive this week. Um, you know, like I said, with just the garden, tomatoes all coming through and stuff. 
I'll leave this open a wee bit and you can hear the birds because it's great. As I said, since we got rid of the since we got rid of the cats, we didn't get rid of the cats. The cats passed away <laughs> suddenly. Yeah, and um, yeah. So when when the cats went, the bird population came back, and we, we've talked about getting cats again. But we've gone cats, birds, and we just love what's happening out there. So, fishing Friday, fifty-two weeks. Huh. It's strange because it's like. I remember coming back from the Aberdeen show and then it was like, it was Rob Scarron. And I want to say big thank you to Rob and the guys at Fuse Metrics as well. And, um, but Rob especially, because R Rob Scarron was the guy that said, you know, why don't, why don't maybe do a Q&A thing? <laughs> maybe you could just do a Q&A, what's that? How'd you do that? <laughs> he said, we could do it live on Facebook. I went, what do you mean, like live, live on Facebook? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd you do that? Oh. <laughs> Three hours of tuition later, I still fucked it up. But eventually, it only took about 48 shows to actually get the camera in the right position and actually get it turned around the right way. Which is quite remarkable, really. But yeah, so Rob suggested it, and here we are, 52 shows. And, and carrying on. And um, it's... Uh, it is it's quite astounding, you know, like 52 shows, 104 hours of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Bernd Hoffman, Guten Abend, this Berlin, Bernd Hunter, have you got a jester plant pot? No, no. It's uh, Kanishka Mudishan, Esther uh, Puyos Rodriguez, and here Virginia Creeper is right next to the poison ivy. <laughs> Kevin Egan, all the best from Wexford, Kristen Martin from Sweden. Martin Cargo, could you say happy 60th for my birthday? Happy birthday. Happy 60th birthday. A young man, no less. Um, uh, I don't know, this is all dodgy when you start. <coughs> Carry on amongst yourself. Yeah, spring. So, what's been happening this week? Um, good news, I had, I had an email. Um, of Simone had an email of somebody, I think it was from Holland. Like his name was Bert. And he was saying that, you know, he'd just been charged something like 25,000 euros on a, on a package, you know? And I was like, why? Right? And I explained to him that, you know, now because of Brexit and stuff, that, you know, the VAT gets paid across there. And it's the administration charges that they throw on top, which is a real pain. And he had to go down to the post office, which is like, you know, in the middle of like COVID and lockdowns. And I know you guys in Europe are getting hit pretty bad at the moment. It's, um, but it was, uh, you know, we said all the charges. Well, the good news is that we've advanced and we're, we're talking to this, this mob in, in Holland, in the Netherlands. And the idea is that we freight stuff across to them and eventually when we produce material in the EU, because all, our, all the vinyl and everything else is all produced across there, um, when we do that, we split the orders, so half will come across the, the UK and half will stay across in, in, the, in, uh, in Europe and the Netherlands. And then basically um, what will happen is that they post it out, and when they post it out, that means that VAT will be charged in Holland, so it's a lot easier to kind of duplicate and move things around, and people will save on these kind of horrendous administration charges. I think that's what's really pissing me off at the moment, it's the admin, the bureaucracy of it all, and how much it's costing. You know, all kind of, it's the stuff that kills small businesses. 
And I was I was talking to um, my uh, um, Paul McLennan, who's a local SNP candidate for East Lothian, and he came down to the house because I wanted to have a discussion with him about you know Brexit and stuff. But I'll, I'll tell you more about that later. But you know, he was saying that he reckons that uh, the um, food and drinks industry in East Lothian alone has gone down by fifty six percent. The people that just can't get stuff out because it's too expensive. And a lot of Euro European people just turn around and saying, there's too much paperwork, there's too much added expense, I'm sorry, but we can't use you. Love what you do, love what you make, but you know, it's just too expensive. And that's what's hitting us in every other business. And um, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm trying to set up this, this Dutch thing. And I should have, we're, we're talking, we took a huge jump forward the other day. We have solutions. We have a number of solutions, we've just got to pick which one and then try and get it together. And that seems to be the, the best option that we've got, which means that, you know, Simona's kind of happy because she won't be dealing with Germany and Holland, although, which is sad for the Dutch and the Germans and the Poles and things and people that we've got relationships with, fans that we've got relationships with. But I mean, that will continue, but I mean, all the sales in Europe will be taken in, in Holland and it will be posted out and it'll be a lot easier. Because I mean, you know, I've got to admit, it's, I mean, if, you know, buying an album where you're paying 10 pound at the Royal Mail for, for postage and paying the local VAT and paying a seven pound, eight pound charge on top of it. Yeah, I mean, I understand that we've noticed, you know, our sales to Europe, they, they have gone down because, you know, people are just sick of it and I'm completely sick of it. Um, but. That's it. So anyway, the Dutch end of the merchandise thing is all moving on. So that was good news. Um, I've got the signed contract from uh, Warners for Vigil. And of course, as you well know, View From The Hill is the song of the evening tonight. And uh, so I thought that'd be quite, it's quite apt that we have that song tonight of all nights. And uh, so the Warners thing's gone. Um, uh, People have been asking about the five to ones on Vigil and Internal, right? And 13 Star. And I know Avril's probably watching tonight, Avril McIntosh. Hi, Avril. Right. Um, and Avril set me up, Avril and Andy Brad, Bradfield, her husband, set me up a, a link to FX Rentals, FX in, um, in, down in Luton, I think they are. And I talked to them this week, I had a lovely guy on the phone. And, um, we were talking about the cost of doing all this, and I said, oh, and, um, hold on. Oh, I missed the birthday there. So, here we go. But, back to where I was. So, I talked to FX about the tapes and how much it costs, and, and uh, the guy was saying, that it's not as expensive as I was thinking, right? So what I've got to do is go into the bowels of the control room and all these kists and cupboards, and I've got to see if I've got all the tapes and then see what kind of state they're in, basically. And if it works, then I've got to get them driven down. And it just so happens that at the end of April, um, or towards the end of April, Dave Barris, who is directing and doing all the film work for the, the Blu-rays and things. Um, Dave's got to go down to London, so what we're looking at doing is if, there's, if it fits, right? 
Have a little Venkatosh. Hello, fish, I'm here. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so it works in that the tapes can all go down in Dave Barris's car and they'll evaluate the tapes and see if it's, it's easy enough to actually get them sorted out. And then we'll get them baked because what happens is that if tapes get moist, if they've been lying about in the, the wrong temperature for a long time, you get a little bit of humidity on the tape and it causes things to break down and causes them to stick together. So they've got to be baked and it's baked at a very low temperature so that it kind of helps the oxides settle down, calms the whole thing down. And then they put it on the machine and then, you know, and they've got the machines down there that I need. And then depending on the price, you know, it, it seems to be there because I think Vigil's only about four reels, five reels max, right? It's going to cost money, but, and, but I mean, the thing is, it's like not so much the five to one. As I was talking with the guy at FX, he was saying that this Dolby Atmos is the thing that's becoming really popular because people don't have to have big speaker setups and you can actually, you know, put it on the headphones and you can listen to it on cans and you can get the, the, that, that kind of surround sound effect. So we're examining that. So that's one of the jobs that I've got to do this week is basically go into the cavern and open up all these tapes. There's lots of shit for there. Um, and it was, uh, if that's the case, I'm, I'm not going to remix Vigil because John Kelly did a brilliant job on Vigil. I may consider remixing Internal Exile. You know, I think Vigil, to go in and, and remix Vigil would be sacrilege in a way. You know, I mean, it's it's a, it's a brilliant album. And I mean, it, just when I was listening to View From A Hill, you know, later on this afternoon, just checking that the CD worked, <laughs> which it didn't actually. <laughs> Nearly shot myself. <laughs> I put the bloody heat on, right? I put the heat on and it was there. Uh, and I played a couple of discs and then I was, they suddenly stopped playing and the, the remote didn't work, right? And the remote didn't work because I changed the batteries in the remote Right, thinking, oh, well, maybe it's just that. And it just refused to work. And I'm going, shit, I'm not, today of all days. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I'm unplugging it, I had to reset the damn thing, and that was only about 15 minutes before it came on air. So it was like nuts. But, Avro Macintosh, we are doing Atmos two fish. Good, if you're doing Atmos. But it, was, it, it is, a, the five to ones, yes, uh, well, not so much the five to ones, but the Dolby Atmos thing. And Avril, I think you and I talked about that before. And, um, and it's, uh, if we can get that together, if the price is right, because, I mean, the reality is this, these aren't new albums. You know, they're, they're old albums. And I'm just hoping that they sell in enough quantities to cover it all. Because, you know, as I said, I mean, I got another notification from Spotify saying that I had another 150,000 plays this month, which was the whippy 150,000 plays. That's about six or seven US dollars. Ha! <laughs> Let's go and buy an Erdiger. <laughs> but as I said, I mean, you know, you know, we've only sold, we've done about 15,000, 16,000, albums. I don't kind of count. I don't sit there and then go calculator, you know, with the beads. Oh, another one sold today. It's, um, but yeah, but I mean, you know, when you consider the Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors, when it originally came out, sold more than half a million in the first six months, you know, and, and what I do now is, um, it is the, the business that has changed. I mean, even the guy, uh, was, uh, 
the, the guy was, was doing my plastering work today. He was, um, you know, he'd, he'd listened to the album on Spotify. And uh, and he said, oh, it's really good. I said, have you bought it yet? He said, no, and I, I gave him a copy because he's doing a great job through this and a brilliant job through in the, the, the extension and stuff. But this is it. It's like people get so used to Spotify. You know, there's over half a million, you know, listens to Weltschmerz on Spotify. And if that translated across the sales... But then again, we go back and we tumble back into the early part of the conversation where you're in a situation and, and you know, where it's costing so much in postage to, to make an album, to, 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 to get an album to people, then you, you kind of understand. You know, people are kind of reticent about, you know, well, it's, you know, a £16.99 basic album, the, the double CD of Elchmerz. You know, it can, it's hitting Europe at £34, £35 with VAT, with postage, with, you know, paperwork costs, you know. So yeah, which is why it's important for us to get this this this, um, this foothold across in Europe to to try and move albums and, and to make them affordable, basically, you know, and because uh, we know some people, you know, just go, yeah, I want it and that's it, which is great, and I thank you for that, and um, and that's what's kept us alive in the last year with no gigs, because you know what, at gigs you'd expect to be out on the road, and especially with vinyl. You know, you're carrying vinyl on tour, and it's like people come up to the merch store and go, "Yeah, I love vinyl," right? and it's you know they're saving you know at the moment over twenty quid, right? And um, so I mean, yeah, but so the, the, if I can dig out, if I can get all, if I can find all the tapes, all the master tapes, then I'm thinking of taking a punt and going forth to get them baked and getting them put on a digital format, which makes them capable of being mixed. And 13 Star, uh, I think, could benefit. I've still got to talk with Callum. He was supposed to be down last week, but he's been having problems in his own house. So he, I think he's coming down this week, and I've got to talk to him about the, the remix of 13 Star. And um, I'm also do, going to do a, a, a remaster of Feast of Consequences and do a half-speed remastered vinyl on Feast of Consequences because for those of you who've got, already got the Veltschmerz vinyl, it's brilliant. It's one of the best sounding vinyls I've ever heard, right? Even though it's, it's kind of moi, right? So we're going to do that in Feast of Consequences and 13 Star. The big problem that I've got is that the, the, how long it's taken to get vinyl produced. It's horrendous. And um, GZ have gone from five, six months. GZ are the company in, in Czechland that, that do a lot of vinyl. They do tons and tons of vinyl. And they're talking about seven months. I mean, they're telling me about projects that, like, you know, I might, might not be able to get some vinyls until next February, you know, which is absolutely ridiculous, right? But it's a, it's a problem where the way, the way that COVID is hitting the production plants and hitting the, the, the assembly lines and things like that, and combined with, you know, the fact that everybody is, is creating things. I know a couple of big acts, like big acts, that I've got serious problems trying to get their their, their, their albums produced in it and out there. And it's, um, you know, we'll just have to see how that goes. Uh, I didn't see the Gina thing. Dave Fields, sorry. Baron Hunter, how much do they get through advertising fish for your music? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is one of the problems with Spotify and, and YouTube. It was, um, you know, the fact is that, you know, there's a lot of things going up there that are, that are going, they're getting 
hundreds of thousands of views, but we can't... And they throw adverts up and then they're, they're taking the advert stream and we're getting a pittance. The EU was actually in the process of, you know, taking the YouTube on to get a better deal for artists and especially musicians. And, of course, since Brexit, the British government's walked away from it. And I don't, I don't know what's happened with the EU, but I know that the UK government said, well, <laughs> we're not doing anything, we're quite happy with it. But, you know, going by their attitude to fucking live gigs isn't surprising. Right. Dennis Mule's proper stereo is still the best, you know. Jason Brooks, can we pay up front to help cover the cost? It's, um, I don't do, uh, if I'm going to do something, then um, I prefer to, to, oh, no, no. Video's gone down on that one, on me, so I hope it's not gone down over there. Don't go down. Bastardos. I'm getting so sick of them. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, shit. Gina, I can't read that, but I, Gina, it's for your friend Gina. I can't see it at the moment because it's like I've got a problem here on the laptop. Bloody tech. This is so irritating. Right. <sighs> right. I'm going to keep my eye on this because it had a, a, a Seymour thing that was all down there because I can't do it in there. I'm not touching this phone. If I touch this phone, all hell's going to break loose. Right. Right. Video fine here. John O'Malley, Jonathan Evans. I'm still with us. I'm frozen here. Right. I'm trying to find the Gina thing. Gareth Griffiths, okay, Woods. Deep Diver, Roddy McLeod, Kathy Nito's Yakard, Zoe Fillingham, Simon Reeves, thanks. Gonna carry on, yep. Graham Huckin, any chance of you joining Cruise to the Edge next spring? Nobody's asked me. Um they know where I am. I mean, it was, I think you know after the last one, I think they were they were um, they were as disappointed as I was. I had very valid reasons for not doing it, which I'm not going to go into. But it's um, you and Pritchard <laughs> can still see you. Don't do anything embarrassing. Sarah Stark from Trinidad. Hello, Niagara Falls, Ontario, Ontario. Derek Spear, right. Yeah, Leon Hagman's, wouldn't it be an idea of all the great artists together set up their own empire and thereby set up a fair music industry, take Mars into your hand, a utopia, man. It's like, I remember, I remember when, uh, um, when I was involved with the, the big legal argument with EMI, it was, it was, a, it was a very all-embracing issue that had to do with uh, the general thing about copyrights and who owned copyrights and was it right that, um, you know, the artist, you know, recorded the music and was given money from the record company to record the music and then had to basically pay the record company back for that money that was given to them to record the music and then the record company also kept the copyright. And that was, it was a big argument I had and, and a lot of people thought it was very valid and we tried to get 
a bunch of managers together and I went to the MU about it as well and nobody gave a damn. They said, oh yeah, completely agree with what you're doing but we're not getting involved. Sorry, thanks very much. And um, it really annoyed me at the time. It was, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the things is, is the big companies did deals with, with Spotify and the big streaming people. They, they, like the, they did mass deals for their catalogue and we all got stiffed because what happens were our Spotify interests when, you, when you're signed to a label and they own the copyrights of it. Um, most of the contracts in the 80s, it's treated, like even streaming, is treated as like a third party license and basically your percentages go down and, you know, I don't want to go into detail, A will wind me right up, but I mean, basically it means that we get a pittance, right? I get more more money from Spotify because I own all the copyrights of everything except from Vigil. And because I license it through 7 Hertz who deal with that. But I mean, even still so, there's all, you've always got guys in between. But I mean, I couldn't survive off, off my digital royalties, no way. And of course, you know, since I went up on it, I mean, iTunes is kind of like, it was, you know, not used anywhere near as it was. I mean, people are so used to doing Spotify and I think they've got to bring Spotify under control. But the argument is, and it was like the reason why I went and uh, started doing the digital thing as prompted by James Cassidy was that, well, people are listening to your music and if they like it, they'll buy it. But I mean, as I said, you know, 500,000, you know, full album streams in December, right? And we ain't sold, you know, even 100,000 albums here. So, I mean, it's kind of... It's an argument that's kind of... Kerry Tate, you need to kick that broadband supplier. It's, uh, like I said, I asked them nicely today, but I will be asking them not very nicely if it carries, if this goes on. But let's see if it goes on. Mark Donald's still with us in Plymouth. Good man, led to Dublin, not in this part of Ireland, down. Uh, Rob Scarron's working on a new thing because um, we're trying to find a new way to do this so that we're not doing it direct through Facebook. We're trying to find another way to do it through the website, which means we can get a far, uh, a far better guaranteed feed and, um, and quality and everything will go up. But Rob said, there's a lot of tech involved. <laughs> he said, we might have to do some Zoom calls and some courses. And I'm like, oh. Oh. <laughs> well, you've got series jumping and installing here. I've got series jumping and installing. It's great on the iPhone. <laughs> but it's like, oh no. Howdy from Atlanta, Richie Hayden. Hayden Faraday, you're on, you're on live on channel Facebook. Right. Steve Bumstead, what will be the last track you play at your last gig? I do not know. I've got no idea. Um, but I mean, as you all know, the European dates have all gone due to COVID and, you know, all the reports and stuff, I'm hearing out of Germany and stuff, is, you know, from my family and friends out there, it was just, it's, it's, it's a bit scary yet. I mean, um, and uh, the UK dates are still in there, you know, the six UK dates, the six shows, right? So it's, um, they're still there. Uh, but I don't know what I'm going to have out for it. It's, um, to go back to like the projects that are happening. I mean, as I said, the vibes are <coughs> fast nervous. The, the, the Atmos, Dolby Atmos, stroke fine ones. Yeah, we're going to see if we can do that and make it happen. As I said, I don't like doing crowdfunding, 
right? I try and fund it all myself. Like Velshman said, don't do it. The problem with crowdfunding is like, you know, the people that do that, you know, they're taking percentages, some of them quite hefty, up to 20%. And you've got to use a credit card that's kind of their credit card, which means they're, they're pumping another 3.5%. And um, it's the same with the Just Given pages. I mean, it's, it's quite, uh, well, that's something I've got going on. The Just Given pages, you know, they take a, a, a good lump out of the, the, the take, which is, you know, fair enough, but I don't need it. And if I box clever and, and if I put projects out, like for example, Steve Ansis has got, um, he's currently mixing the multi-tracks of Glasgow and we're just touching them up and putting some colour in there and, and making sure that they're, they're absolutely on the ball. So Steve Ansis is there in Birmingham at the moment working on that. Um, and I've also got to say a big thank you to Gareth Williams and, and Nev from Fairport Convention. And they've been absolutely stunning. And um, uh, Nev is part of the, the, the film team down there. And Gareth Williams, who's the kind of main production guy for Fairports, he's one of the, 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 the big guys down there. Um, what they did was um, they've given me um, the stage footage of the Cropperdy show, right? And it's kind of really ironic because Cropperdy was John Beck's last ever gig were my band. And um, the the show that followed that, the Glasgow show, was when Foss Patterson came back in, right? And it's strange that it was like, you know, the previous, the, the, the Movable Feast one was the other way around, right? So anyway, Gareth has sorted it out and we've got the, 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 the stage footage, which is all the film work that was done for the big screens at Cropperty. The sound isn't that great because it was only recorded on a, on a stereo mix. We had a standard engineer for the day who took a couple of numbers to get to grips, but it's great footage. And it's not, it's, it's basically going to be a bonus disc. It's, you know, don't treat it as being the live album. It's like a bonus DVD that comes out with the, uh, the last straw album. And Steve's got a great show from Glasgow, which I'm really happy to get a, a, a really fine multi-track show. And we might have some other bits and bobs to, to, to put in there. But, my point being, if I can get the live album out, right, and we can get that set up, then the income from that goes into the pot and that helps bounce to the next project. That's how I work as an independent, you know, so that we, I don't have to go to the bank to, to develop things and we just keep our, our eyes on, 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 on the ball all the time and we just spin projects so that everyone keeps on feeding the next one, feeding the next one. So the live album will feed, help feed the 13 Star uh, remix remaster with the Feast of Consequences um, uh, remaster and the Half Speed vinyl coming out. With all of those, we kind of, the money keeps on going into the pot and it keeps, on, it keeps the machine moving forward into internal and vigil, which are going to be big projects, right? Big, big projects. And um, it's, uh, the way it's going to happen is that, um, if we, you know, I've got to cost out all the, the, the bacon of these tapes and I've got to cost out the, the Dolby Atmos and the Blu-rays. I mean, well, there's so much footage, you'd be amazed. And Mickey wants to come up here to be interviewed. You know, Chris Kimsey's going to be interviewed. So we've got to put all these kind of parts in place. So it becomes what I always wanted this remastered series to be, which was kind of like a legacy edition. So like when I'm finally gone, that is the way it is. You know, that's, that's how it is. So... Well, what I'm going to do 
I'm going to get into view. And it's interesting because with the Vigil album, it was, um, it's, 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 it's special to me. I mean, it's, it's a very, I know you guys will like it. I mean, just the votes on, on View From Hill tonight were, were absolutely outstanding. And um, it's a really, it's an album that's really close to my heart because of what, everything that happened at that time, you know? And I read the lyrics to View From a Hill today and read them in a completely different way, you know? And it was interesting that when we were putting the footage together for the original Blu-ray, because we've actually already shot an entire interview for the Vigil Blu-ray that, that Dave Barris and Scott Mackay did about, well, it was about three years ago, right? And, uh, and we've, it's, it's become out of date. You know, some of the subject matters there, but I mean, obviously with Fish and Friday, there's things come into my head and there's other angles that have, that have come in that I wanted to make sure are in, in the documentary footage. But part of that documentary footage was um, a load of filming that was done on an eight millimeter camera. And I was, again, funnily, I, I was talking to um, a, a, the guy the other day and he was, um, he was, he was a friend of Gordon Ray. And Gordon Ray was the, the hips captain um, way back in, uh, at that point in the, the, the late 80s. And on this camera footage, right, what you have, right, on drums, John Keeble, Howland is from Dire Straits on, on uh, acoustic guitar. There's Frank Usher's in there. Uh, um, there was Alison Jones on violin. Mickey Simmons, obviously, on keyboards, right? And there was Yannick Gers. And this was in the footage that I still have to find, and I'm hoping that when I go into the bowels of the control room that I can find that 8 millimeter Lockerbie footage because it's the only video cassette I can't find. And you know that shit what you do when it's like, you know... I'm going to put this away somewhere safe, right? And then you completely forget where you put it because you've put it away somewhere safe. And the same as you come up with a very clever password that, you know, like, what was that very clever password I set up for that really important site? Oh, oh. But Yannick Gers. Yannick, I knew from the marquee. I knew when he was kicking about with bands that were playing the marquee. But I really got to know him when he started playing for uh, Bruce Dickinson. And Bruce Dickinson and his wife uh, were friends. And, well, his wife was a, a big friend of my, my then wife, uh, Tamara. And they were kicking about thick as thieves and stuff. And, but Bruce and they were just a bit of Yannick. And when I went solo, right, I met up with Yannick and he said, let it be really nice to do something. And I kind of knew that Yannick wasn't... The, the right guitarist for my band, but he, I love him as a guy. He's a really, he's a really cheeky wee chappy to have around, and, and he's a fun guy and he's a great player, you know. But he's in a certain style, and I think what I was looking for at the time was to try and balance off. I've said this before. When I went solo, I needed to balance off my guitar position because I didn't want to put one guitarist in there because everybody was just going to compare him to Stephen Rothery, right? And I didn't want to kind of lay that on. I mean, I'm sure if Marillion could have had two singers, they would have done it, right? But, you know, all I wanted was kind of... <clears throat> I wanted to take the pressure off somebody. And that was when I decided to go for a twin guitar setup. And Yannick was up for being part, potentially part of that twin guitar setup. But what happened was that Frank Usher took up the kind of lead and Robin took up... The, the the rhythm side of it and that was that was my twin guitar but Yannick was a brilliant guy and we put together 
um, view from hell. And when I read, when I read the lyric, right, it was like, I realized it was all about my end days were the Murillos. And it was exactly how I was feeling. I just, I kind of read it from an angle. And it, and it was, um, maybe I should just play it. But it was then a whole thing about what I was giving up to get to, you know, the top of the hill. And basically, when you reach the top of the hill, is it actually any finer than it was at the bottom? And what happens to you on that climb is perhaps not something that you should be thinking about. I think I need a real drink. Let's hope I'll put the right one in. Yep, 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 yep. I'm sure it did. This bit of bloody work.
It's, it's funny because it was a song that we didn't play much in the vigil tour because it was an absolute shredder on the vocal. It's a really tough song to sing. It just comes at you so fast all the time. And um, when we took it out on the, the Lemon Tree gigs, when we took it out on the, the, the 20 shows, and we'll be playing it on the shows in November as well. But... Um, we took it, we dropped the keys, and just dropping the key was just incredible. And it just gave me the ceiling to play with. I think the problem with that song is the way it's written, it's like you're, you, you, the dynamic is so big, right? That when you go up, you're right on the top of the ceiling. And if you've got any, any vocal issues going down, it's like, you know, it's an absolute nightmare. And I just kept on really struggling. I was smoking too much back then, so I'm trying to get. I'm having a bad one tonight because it's like the bloody text like fucking driving me mad. I can't actually see anything on the screen. I'm, I'm catching the... I'm catching your questions and it's really unsettling and unnerving and making me uncomfortable. Oh, fuck. The good news is that BT are allegedly, right, after years and years and years of working on a clockwork BT um, thing here, we're allegedly going to get, you know, the high-speed broadband up on wire coming in. So uh, they're going to replace all the wires. Yippee! Right? So maybe at some point in Fishing Friday, you know, we'll actually be getting a really decent feed. But I'm just, I'm annoyed about this tonight. Right? And, um... <sighs> Tom Hardy, Bill Barbecue tomorrow. Thanks to Mike Hardy. Mike, for sure, that build-up is just awesome. It's great. And I love that we actually threw it in on the, um... It was, uh, what was it, the Misplaced Tour, and we threw it in at the end. Just this, the, the little, the, the, the wee melodic bit, because it's a beautiful melodic bit. But that song, like I said, when I read the lyrics about it, it was all about leaving the band, and it was about just being really unhappy with where I was. It was kind of like, you know, you'd made it to, like, 
you know, the top of the hill, but it was crap. And it was like, you know, and what, in a way, friends and relationships and things that I'd, I was giving up at the time, you know, to get to that point, you know? And I think that's why, if you see, these are the originals. These are the original vigils. And uh, the front cover's still my favorite. But there you go. That is, that is the original painting that Mark did. And down there is Mark Kelly and John Arneson. And um, they really objected to that. That was supposed to be Dwayne Welch. And I kind of had little digs at lots of things. And um, Mark Kelly got money off EMI for that because he threatened to sue them when Vigil was about to come out. And he threatened to sue them and he got money from EMI because he had... And we had to put a black thing on on uh, on his face. So the first issue, the issues of the album cover that came out, you could see Mark Kelly's face. The second print, there was a, the, the black things on. And it was supposed to be, you know, it was kind of like, you know, I was just pissed off at everything. But that was it. It was like the TVs and everything on that. It was all... We took ages to put it all together. It's, um, but that's... And it's funny when you look at it, there's lots of stuff like, there's a clown that ended up in Goldfish and Clowns. It wasn't deliberate, it just ended up there. And that was Robert from uh, The Misplaced Childhood Colour. Uh, what else is there? That was Yanis, who was involved with a, uh, a lot of the photography round about the clutching time. And that Mark used as one of the, the, the subjects. But it was incredible like how it all came to be. And, the weird thing as well, where is it? There's the, yeah, that's the the Lockerbie reference up there as well. The Crash Plane. But that's the, this is still my favourite cover, you know. I love that one. It's one of Simona's favourites as well. What we originally wanted to do was when we went out on the road, right, I wanted to take the TV sets and we tried to get a deal with Sony. And the idea was to get loads of TV screens and put them on the put them in the stage set so that we could broadcast stuff all from the the um, you have a, a vision mixing desk and stuff pro one <laughs> that was another one because Steve Rothery had a Porsche right I mean we weren't good friends at that time <laughs> so that's why Mark Kelly ended up being a tramp at the bottom at the bottom of the hill and the crashed up Porsche was supposed to have SR01, which was Steve Rothery's number plate. <laughs> and we had to change it to, was, you can't do that fish. <laughs> so it's changed the pro one. But that, I love that cover. And um, and Sandy Fearful, hello Sandy, hello Judith. Sandy, who does my t-shirts there at Rasmataz, he, he sent me up a thing, he showed me one of the Vigil t-shirts that was selling for 60 quid. And I love that design, of, of the original Vigil shirt. It was a, uh, and we're definitely going to do them. You know? The problem with shirts, right, is that everybody goes, yeah, I want this, I want that, I want this. It's the same way. It's like, come to Philadelphia, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you end up playing to five people in a shit and dug, you know. And it was, um, you know, everybody want, everybody thinks everybody else's want one. And um, <laughs> it's like Fishing Fridays. It's like we still got loads of those shirts. Talking about that, Rob Scarron just sent me a message. The Fish and Friday gallery, right, is actually kind of, um, it's up and working now. So if you take a photograph of yourself and put the hashtag, uh, it's, I think it's hashtag Fish and Friday t-shirt or something, you can check it on the, the Facebook post. Put it up and your photograph will eventually go up. It doesn't go up instantaneously. 
because there are filters on Instagram, and if we if we un, if we untweak them too much, it'll cause issues, and Instagram could go do 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 block 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 block, and um. So it runs through. So they're starting to go up now on the the on the, the, the sites. We'll be interested to see them later. But yeah, I mean, you know, with the t-shirts and everything, I mean, the visual t-shirts are, are definite at some point. But I mean, um, again, you know, every time you make something, it involves putting in a, a lot of wedge into it. And I do not don't like going to these supporting groups. You know, that they're kind of yeah, I don't. It's just another way. I was watching something about the, the British steel industry yesterday with that company that Cameron was involved with and about how the payments were taking so long to go through that what they did was they advanced the payment early, but in return for that, they took a percentage and stuff. And I just try and avoid it. And in the same way as were with the Vigil album and with the Marillion albums, because you might own the copyright of all the Marillion albums, right? If you actually look back on it, and we'd actually taken out a bloody bank loan you know, back then to, to create the album, you know, we would own the album and we could have licensed it and we would have got it back in, uh, after five years, but we didn't do that. That was just a very bad managerial decision back at the time, but we were broke. But I mean, um, you know, when I look at my independent model now, it's, you know, I couldn't survive if I was signed to a major record company. No way, you know. But, you know, back then, like I said, I mean, it was it was the view from the hill. It was like, you know, we were a big band and you're standing up on the top of that hill and, you know, it wasn't really smelling of roses at that time. And, um, oh, God, my feet's going off again here, you know? Gareth Griffiths, I love the album cover, great artwork, but so much to look at and take in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just take your time. Uh. You don't have to grab it all at the one instant, you know. I mean, and as I said, I mean, there's things that come back to me. I mean, things I see on album covers that I went, oh, I forgot we did that, you know. But we always play these games. I mean, you know, Mark Wilkinson, you know, we, I was talking to him just just a few days ago. We're talking about gardens, <laughs> raised beds. Is this where we've gone to now? It's like, we you said, oh, you heard this album, I heard that album. No, it's like, I'm, which conspiracy thing have you seen on Netflix and how's your raised beds doing, you know, so... Um oh. Free if tickets for cancel shows are not returned, will you and your band and crew benefit from that money that doesn't have to be refunded? No. We don't see any of that. That's venues keep that. We don't see we do not get paid on any gig until we play the gig, until we turn up at the show. We normally get paid a certain amount in advance, you know, because they know that we're setting up and then but you don't get paid for you only get half your guarantee, which is not half the, the, the sold out show it's half of the guarantee and then when you show up at the show that night then the rest of the guarantee is paid and on the night your tour manager and your production manager does the settlement for the amount of tickets that you've sold above the guarantee which is a and you get a percentage you know 70 30 or 80 20 or whatever it is after other costs and things so uh yeah tony summers standing on a soapbox in the crowd just a voice in the crowd yeah Michael Forshaw, bloody knacker today, has been in the garden all day, but worth it. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, and Yannick, Hartlepool. It was, uh, somebody came up and said Hartlepool, and the band White Spirit. And White Spirit was a band that was a huge favourite of Steve Harris, and I think he actually took one of their songs, and they got credit for it, because he was a, Steve was a big fan. Steve's a great guy, a really lovely bloke. But, it's, um, but Yannick, I've not seen for ages. The last time I saw him 
was with Iron Maiden in Glasgow. And to be honest, I walked out after about 20 minutes. I just couldn't handle it. It was so fucking loud. And it was the SEC, and it was just, ah. Oh. And my ears were actually, it, there was so much volume going into my ears. It was like kind of distorting to hell. And I went, ah, I'm going home. Can't deal with this, you know? Oh no, don't go down. I didn't, I did not, I did got my refund, Rico Yanka, from your, your October 21 paradise, paradise, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a pain, this whole thing. It's like, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, as I said, you know, the amount that the ticketing agency take, ticketing agencies take for, for dealing with it, you know, I would have thought that they could at least give them back a percentage of it, but they make so much money off the tickets these days. I mean, when you actually look at you know, the splits on tickets, it's, it's, it's horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Right. See if this goes again. Oh, this is such a pain. I keep on losing kind of your feed now. Well, but yeah, view from the hill. Oh, let's go see some more. I keep on forgetting, happy Easter, right? Happy Easter and happy anniversary. You know someone the wine. But let's go and see what the missus is doing. She actually was talking to her dad today on the phone. And um, this is the thing. The, another thing that made me feel really positive this week was I was on the phone to Yatta. You know, remember Yatta? And uh, Yatta's still building his house. That will be He'll be building it forever, right? And um, because Yatta's, you know not got any work either. He does a lot of work for Bartlett James Harvest now. And uh, I said to him, will you set up the tour for us and, and do the bits? He said, yeah. So he was booking, he's booking the bus. We're going to do this as a bus tour because we've got Glasgow to Bristol, Bristol to Southampton, Southampton, day off Cambridge, Cambridge, Sheffield, Sheffield, Liverpool, Liverpool, up to here, and then something happened. There are no more gigs being added. I've talked to Mark at Gig Cartel. He can't find venues. Um, but we've got something on the go that I don't really want to talk about yet until we've, we've got things moving. But there is something really exciting. It's, uh, but let's not go down that route. So um, it's going to be a bus tour because if we get in, if we play Glasgow and we've got to drive all the way down to Bristol, we're going to have to be up at nine o'clock in the morning and it's going to be a four hour, five hour drive down to Bristol. So we've decided to go on a bus. So this week we were talking to yeah I was talking to Yatta about the bus, and uh, it's like how many people and things and um, and I said to him if I'm going on a tour I said the last one I went on I said I had a double bed in the upstairs front lounge and I said if we can do that if there's a if there's a British bus company doing that and he said yes there is yes there is deep joy there's nothing to, to be my size on a bus is a trial. It is a trial. You never really get proper sleep. But the last tour, the reason I got through that last tour, the last big European tour in the German bus, was I had this, I had my lounge, I had the front lounge at the, at the front of the bus, upstairs, which meant you didn't take the big hits when, you, when the, you hit the bumps. And I could stretch out, I could do star shapes and everything, you know? And Simona came across and visited me a couple of times and, and we could sleep together without kind of waking up in the middle of the night fighting. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually physical fighting, but it's, it's just that. 
I mean, Simone actually sleeps. <laughs> sleeps with her hand across her face in case I punch her nose, right? Not that I'm trying to punch her, right? It's just that because my back my back aches and I've got to move and kind of change where my, how my spine's lying, I've got to get round. And trying to turn round in a, in a, in a bunk on a moving bus, right? You're like that. <laughs> Elbows everywhere. <laughs> and I've had to, oh, sorry, I'm really sorry, let me do that. So it's a double bed, right? And the great thing is, by the time we get out in November, I'll have my, had my second vaccination, Simona will have had her second vaccination, my mum's had her second vaccination. So what we can actually do is, um, the plan is that uh, my mum's gonna go into respite up here for a, a week, week and a half, so that Simona can come and join me on the tour. And, um, she can come out and we can be together for the six shows, which will be, I cannot see any shows happening in 2022 for me. It's, it ain't gonna happen, right? And it's not because of COVID, it's not because of Brexit, it's just that all the venues are booked and it's impossible to actually route a tour because we couldn't even start looking at booking gigs for the next tour until this European tour was canceled, right? So we couldn't like start going like, yeah, we'll book up book more shows. So um, we had to hold on. And of course we're holding on. All the venues have gone because everybody else has been booking the gigs. So as I said, there's only six shows in November, six paying shows in November in the UK. And 2022 is probably gonna be nothing. Maybe right at the end of the year, but it's doubtful. So I'm actually looking at booking my farewell tour in 2023, but that's a long way away and a lot of things can happen between now and then, as we fucking know. <laughs> but the great thing is, someone will be out on a double bed with me in the bus. Another thing is um, my daughter Tara might be coming out with her boyfriend, right? To do the merchandising for the first time in years, which is gonna be uncanny, right? So let's go through to the kitchen. Oh, look at this. Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> I've never been a big Easter kind of person. Easter for me was, I'm going to get chocolate, loads of chocolate from aunts and uncles, right? That was it. I didn't, I'd, you know, when I, was, when I was a kid, when I was taken to church, you know, it was, um, uh, that was something. But I was never a big Easter. But in Germany... As you Germans know, it's a massive thing. And say good evening to my lovely wife. Right. Simona's going to tell you some things, Bisa, that even I didn't know until today when, after she talked to her dad in Karlsruhe. Right. Oh, the Easter thing. Yes. Um, how do I start? Moment you got me there. Um, it, was, uh, it was forbidden by the church leaders to eat eggs in the week in the week leading up to Easter, um, which is also known as the Holy Week. And so they saved the eggs, they, 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 to save the eggs, and not, yeah, they boiled them, kept them, and then they decorated them and colored them. My dad said they colored them to not get mixed up with the unboiled eggs, but I read that they colored them just to give them to the kids. And what else did I read? That the Easter bunny 
it came why why a Easter bunny why why a rabbit um, it's because they usually um, have big letters and this was a symbol of life and then the legend was that the that the rabbits the Easter bunnies the rabbits um, hide the eggs and which is also a symbol of life a lot of mushrooms involved. I feel, I feel mushrooms are in there somewhere. The Easter bunnies hid the eggs, the little coloured eggs, hid the eggs. Yes, yes. No, but I like the idea of, like, you know, actually hard-boiling eggs, to right, and colouring them, them to, to identify them yes, as being yes. hard-boiled yeah. makes complete sense, yeah. you know? Yeah. That does. So, yeah. fish and Friday, you learn loads of shit, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> So, but yeah, so I didn't realise if we didn't eat meat. I mean, I, I knew about Fish and Friday and stuff, and the reason why Fish and Friday is, and that, you know, people, you know, and uh, I think it's, it's in the Catholic Church in the main, was that, you know, you eat fish on a Friday, you didn't eat meat, right? So I found it tonight, I was going like, oh, great, I have steaks tonight. What am I supposed to tea tonight? So we're not having tea, so what are we having tonight? We haven't, you hold it too high, I'm not that tall. Um... Green Thai prawn chili. Curry. Curry. <laughs> yeah. We got this, Thai right? Green, green I'm shit with rice. I'm, I'm rubbish at making rice. It's like I, rice for me is always a touch and go thing, you know, but this, we got this rice machine and it's brilliant. Yomija. And it's just this stunning thing. And you put in cups of rice, right? Put in the requirement of water and then switch it on for 20 minutes. And you can put different rice types in, so you can press buttons for basmati and stuff like that. I don't, I've not touched it, I've <laughs> not going anywhere near it. <laughs> this is Simona does that. I don't take, I'll break it, right? Because I mean, at the moment, it's like we've got no lights in the kitchen because, um, there's no lights in the kitchen because, um, idiots that actually put the, the last extension in, right? We had a couple of electricians. I think one of them had a nervous breakdown and I think that was the one that actually fucked up, right? We've got all the fuse boxes and nobody's actually written on the fuses what they actually are. And I've got this rainwater tank outside with a pump in it and it's a pressure pump. So that basically means that like, when you actually turn, that, turn the tap on in the garden, then the pressure's released and it activates the pump and, you know, scoobly-doobly, squishy-squishy, watery-watery. But he's wired the pump in to the kitchen lights. Why an outside, an outside you know, heavy-duty pump is wired in on kitchen lights, I do not know. So, anyway, I, I told you last week about I nearly fell down the hole, right? So, I realised that the joints on the pipework inside the tank were all loose, and I think what's happened is with the joints, I've been letting the pressure go. So I've been spending fortunes to allow water to go skoosh, 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 swirl, 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 bubbly, bubbly, jubbly inside a bloody tank outside. You know, if we had fish in it, at least they'd be happy. This one isn't. So anyway, I've switched off that fuse line, right, to just see if it is the thing that's causing, that's putting on serious amounts of ka-ching factor onto my electricity bill. So, but yeah, so there's all that. Lights haven't gone on yet. It's not dark enough. It's only ten past seven, so I don't know whether. But, but yeah. So um, so my, 
I do switch the kitchen lights on, but they're, they're only on for 15 minutes and we try and deal with it as much as possible. And, um, and the, the, the stove's getting fixed. We had the guys round to get that done. But I mean, uh, with the tech stuff, I've been, I mean, like I said, I got the Kercher pressure washer out last week. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know about you, but I'm one of them guys, right? I always lose a fucking screw, right? It's like, what happens is that like, when I'm building anything, right? You know, you get the flat pack out from Ikea or whatever, right? And you put it all together, you've always, there's always this one screw. You either lose one, right? Or you've got one screw left over. And I, was, I did that with a Kercher and I'm trying to put it together. And you know nowadays, because everything's international, so all the other kind of, all the, the um, instruction things are all like the drawings, you know, they're like things, for, things that are meant for aliens or something. Oh, this is what they did, you know? Don't use language. It's like, you know, pictures with like arrows and shit, right? And you've got to decipher what that is to get it. So anyway, there's one part of the Kercher, right? And it looked like, you know, well, that's... And there was all these wee screws. And I put the wee screws in all the bits where the wee screws go in. And there was one bit and there was a big hole. And I went, well, maybe what it is, it's like a big bit. And I've got the magnetic screwdriver. And I thought, maybe what you do is you put the screw on the magnetic screwdriver and you push it down. And then eventually what happens is it goes all the way down this hole and there's a little hole in the middle for the screw. And then you turn it and it engages and well, Bob's your uncle, right? No. What happened was I put the little screw all the way down the big hole, waiting on it to engage, and it went, ching, came off inside the machine, right? And it came inside the machine and the machine's got all these moulds all the way around it. I hope nobody for Kercher's listening because if I have to put something in as a guarantee, they'll, they'll ban this claim, right? The screw's gone missing inside the machine. I can't get out and it rattles about. And I was turning upside down, like trying to find a way to get this goddamn screw out of the machine. I had to give up. So the screw's still in the machine, and I had to find another two screws, right? To, and it was for the handle at the top of the machine, but it's all done, and it works, and that's great. And, um, and I love it. And it's... Uh, so anyway, so I had the Kercher out last week. And what was it? There was another tech issue I had this week. It was like, what the hell was I doing the other day? And it was like... It wasn't the bulbs with a really short cable at the end. It was someone else. Oh, yeah, the Viapod. <laughs> oh, I've got to say, thank you very much, Mike Freeburn, for uh, our anniversary present. Right? This is a garden gnome that we got with a hip strip on it. Please don't send any more. Right? I'll find a place for this in the garden somewhere underneath the fern. Right? But, Mike Freeburn, thank you very much for your thought and care. <laughs> Simona hates them, right? So this is going to be going in one of my secret parts of the garden where nobody sees it apart from me when I'm weeding, right? But yeah, a little, little heavy gnome. <laughs> That's about Joe Tortellano size, that is. For those of you who know Joe Tortellano, right? Joe Tortellano, by the way, was a, a hips player, right? Uh, let me think, he was a left-back and he was an Edinburgh of Italian kind of lineage, right? And he had this thing went in his head, right? I don't know what it was, but he wasn't very good. We know he was deaf in one ear because when he ran up the touchline, like everybody was shouting, I'm like, Tara, fucking Lano. <laughs> That's what his team was. Tara, fucking Lano. He was a really nice guy. I met him a couple of times, a really lovely guy. And, um, but... Sometimes you could play absolutely, you know those players, sometimes they're absolutely brilliant and they have a great game 
And the next one, they're getting outrun, they miss, and they make mistakes, and it was yellow and red cards, right? So, right? Joe is playing, right? And we're playing against Manchester United in a testimonial match. And I'm, I think the testimonial match was for Gordon Ray, right? And it was all set up, and Gordon Strachan was playing. A Scotland hero, right? Who is a huge Hibs supporter? There's been times when he was, there was times he was touted as being Hibs manager, and my fingers were crossed. And I've, I've met him a few times, and Gordon's a lovely guy. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's Hibs Aberdeen testimonial match, friendly. Everybody's kind of chilled. Like, it's Manchester United, da, 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 right? Three minutes, three minutes or so, four minutes into the match, Gordon Strachan's going down the wing, doing his Gordon Strachan bit, right? Joe Torrellano comes in like a water bison on acid, right? Or it's very small water bison on acid, right? And takes them completely out, puts them into the into the sideboards, right? And the, the Easter Road went silent. It was, it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's, it's a testimonial friendly match. And George had come, wiped him completely out of the game. And he was red carded straight away. And everybody's going like, did that really see that? Yeah. So yes, yeah, so every time I see that little gnome mic, I'll think about Joe Torrellano. You know? <laughs> uh, there's a uh, Drew Sutherland. You were at the game as well. Couldn't believe it. Nobody could. Nobody could believe that that happened. Right? Like I said, it was it was it was five minutes or something, ten minutes into the match. It was like you know, just bopping about. Load of guys going, "How you doing, Gordon? Then Joe, oh, brilliant to see you, Gordon. I said, oh, great, Johnny. How's it going? Just boff. <laughs> Marcus Adams, are you watching Queens versus Hibs on Monday? Come on, the Queens. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit nervous about that match, to be honest, Marcus. It's like you know, I could see that that has got banana skin written all over it. And, you know, that's why I didn't, when, when Brora Rangers beat Hearts up in Brora, you know, I, I, try, I tried not to chortle too much because it's like, you know, you know, I, I, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> James Smith red carded at a testimony, that's a talent. I don't think he ever played for Hibs again. It was, I, I think, I think his, his family probably locked him away in a room somewhere. It was like, you know, it was nuts. Uh, Oh, here we go. Carol Lawrence Olsen, I really appreciate your honesty about not being a tech person. I feel the same way about too many things. I just need your courage to try. Anyway, yeah. See, when I go near a computer, I mean, as I said, these fingers, and <laughs> these fingers are not meant to go near keyboards, right? And I always get really, really worried. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do something really, really bad. You know, when you, I, I nearly did something today, and it was like the, the pinky. It was like, it, it was dragging. It, it was it was sitting there dragging at the side and it caught something and tabbed something. And it was like, <laughs> it's scary shit. But I mean, tech, I mean, you know, I get, I, I get uptight about it, you know? Like, some people can look at a computer screen and go like, some will go like, we just press this and do this. And then something pops up and I've got to analyze it, right? And read it twice, read it three times before I do anything. I get guys coming here to work on my computer, they're like, ding, 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 ding. Steve Vance is when he comes up, ding, 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 you know? I'm like, 
Click. Okay. Uh, move the arrow, move the cursor. Click. Nothing's blown up yet. <laughs> it's, it's like that with me. And I've always been like that. Always. I remember I was given a radio set. You know, one of them build your own radio sets. And I thought, oh, great, I'll build my own radio and be able to listen to Radio Luxembourg. I think it was about oh, 11 year old or something, right? And I was, I was petrified, right? But I think it stems down from... I, I, maybe I'm just weird, but I remember when I had my train set, you know, and I... I mean, I love the sound. I mean, I used to love it, and I still love it. And the one thing I really miss, right, is going to the barbers, right? Because, see, when I hear the, the sound of a kind of razor going... You know, of an electric razor going up my side of my head, I, I, I just get mesmerised. I'm like, that's lovely. That's really nice. I just... Uh, and I remember I used to love it when I was a kid with my electric train set. And I used to love putting my ear down and listening to the electric and the smell of the electric inside the engine. And uh, it was all really good. And then and I went, oh, electricity is wonderful. This is great, right? And I remember one time there was the, the top had come off a plug in the socket, right? And I thought, oh, look at that, right? And I, I mean, I wasn't young. Right? I mean, I was a teenager, but I wasn't young, right? And I remember, oh, I wonder what happens when you do this. Bang! <laughs> Cross the room. I shot out the two plug pins. And it's like, yeah, bastard. And I've, it's always, I get fear, right, with electricity and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, you know when I'm... Oh, and, you know, the greenhouse and things, I take extra special care when I'm doing anything with water in and the electric, even the kerchief when I had it out last week. And I was I was doing the high pressure wash out, out there. I was like, you know, I'm going like, and I turned around to the high pressure. It was just a complete lapse of concentration. Turning oh, the the kerch is really dirty. Oh, you bastard! <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's one of them things. It's uh, tech, and it, it's it's uh, that's what I said. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know why I got a studio. I've got no idea. I, I never understood it. It was like, you know, I'll just get that. It's, by that, it's got bleeping flashing lights. It's great. Look at all the bleeping flashing lights. Never knew how to work it. Just, you know, never knew. Now, and lo and behold, I am born inside this computer age, right? And it's, um, and I can't, you know, the, the TV set and everything. Like, I mean, I had, I had to, I get a guy set it up and then I don't fuck with it, right? I don't play about with it. I don't, so it was, oh, you should do this, you should do that. And as soon as somebody goes near my TV set, when Steve Vances is up, right, and he goes, oh, what you want to do is this, and you want to do this, do this, do this, stay away from my TV set, man, right, just stay away from it, right, and it's because I'm scared that he does something, and then he goes away, and then it goes wrong, and I've got to try and put it back together again, and I, it really worries me, and I get really uptight with tech, it must be, there must be something with that, you know, it must be a, a named phenomenon, you know, tech fear, right, but when I just get really nervous, yeah. I like be, that's why I love gardening, you know. And uh, I mean, last week with the Vitapod, that's what I was going to tell you about. The, my Vitapod, the propagator, right? Um, so I've got all my chilies sitting in there at 20 degrees in one Vitapod, right? Which is the correct temperature. And it sits there at 20. 20 on the 20 programmed, 20s on the marker. Chili's happy, keep them water, don't overwater them. And I'm, I'm all right in that. I'm good at that kind of stuff. Okay-ish, right? The other Vitapod, 
I put the tomatoes in and I had cucumbers and melons and they need a lot of temperature to germinate. So I bummed it up to 35 degrees, right? 30, 30 degrees, right? For, you know, I just wanted to keep them bummed up until they burst through it and then take it down. So up they went, da da da, put the program in, uh, you know, seven degrees. They've, they've come through the, the ground, they don't need it as long as they don't get frosted. They're okay, seven degrees. Came back the next morning, right? 35 degrees on the Vitapod, right? So I'm going like, oh no. And the tomatoes that were in there, they shouldn't be at that kind of temperature. They should have been at seven because I just put them in there the night before. The tomatoes are like, get us out of here now. We're going to die. We're going to die, you know. And it was, um, <laughs> so I kind of reprogrammed and it. And it was, it was, and I've had to get in touch with the, the, the people that sold me the Viapod. And I was out there and I had to put something in a glass of water for 15 minutes and take the temperature and put it in my hand and take the temperature and da-da-da and reset this and check this. Did all that, right? Did all of that. And even at night, it went, it went 25-7. I said to the woman, Charlotte, right? Really nice lady, right? And Charlotte, it's, I'm, I'm uh, like, you know, it's just, I don't know what, it's working fine, Derek. It's working fine. Don't worry about it, right? I'm scared shitless with it now. Because I'm, I'm scared that I put my plants into something and I get them cooked before they've even done fruit. Right? And it's like, but you know, that's the kind of thing that happens to me, right? You can be guaranteed. I'm the guy that loses the screw in the Kershaw machine. I'm the guy that's like, you know, there's like, but sir, there's a hundred people that have done this and it's never happened to them before. And I'm going, but this is me, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like a curse, the curse of tech, right? Right, I've been waiting for you to choose this song for a long, long time because there's some great stories. I could do reams of stories around about this song. I wrote this with John Wesley, who is a lovely friend of mine. I, I miss Wes so much. I'd heard about Wes when he was doing, he was doing support gigs for Marillion and he was playing guitar and stuff. And he was also, being, he was also a guitar tech. And we met up and got on like a house on fire and became lovely friends, dear friends. And I count him as a, a really special friend in my life. You know, I, he's, a, he's a man's man and we've had some great and fantastic times. We, we have very different attitudes to life and we've also got very different politics, but we're great friends. And, um, and... When he came out with me to, I think it was Cosmo, um, he had a background, army background. Wes's dad was, if I've got this right, he was an aircraft engineer on uh, aircraft carriers in the Gulf of Tonkin during the Vietnam War, right? And dad, his dad was a lovely guy, God bless him, right? And, um, and Wes always had a thing about the army, I think because he's dad. And then, like I said, he, when I told him about going out with, to, to work with the army, he was really up for it. And I'd already been out in Bosnia, so I'd, I'd explained a lot of the, the stories and things. And we wanted to write a song together that was about the soldier, right? Or our soldier and about the way they were being treated. And... Um, I had a friend, a great friend, again, who sadly died, called John Davis, who was called John, Gunnar John. He was an Arsenal uh, supporter, but he was also in the Royal Artillery. And 
he became he was a he was a huge fan. A lot of you probably remember him, and he was a lovely, lovely bloke. And um, and through him, and and the, after the after the, the the first Gulf War, he had a lot of health issues and stuff, and he was ignored. And his wife, who's a a, a lovely woman, fought for him and won. And it was basically about the way that a lot of the meds were administered when the guys went out there, where rather than getting vaccinations and, and giving them over a specific time, they were, they were like zapped up um, in a, with vaccinations in very close proximity, which was very unhealthy. And they paid the consequences. And a lot of British troops out there. But it, it was more than that. It was about, you know, from John's... You know, I was taking in, 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 in Wesley's perspective as well, which was, you know, the Vietnam veterans and the Falkland veterans and the Gulf veterans, you know, and just the way that society treats, you know, soldiers. And, you know, and I think, you know, in, in modern warfare, um, you know, post-traumatic post -traumatic stress syndrome and everything else that goes along with that uh, is highly underestimated. And a lot of soldiers get left to fend for themselves, you know, after going through traumatic events. I mean, I remember when I was in Bosnia, I remember having long discussions with young soldiers about what they were dealing with and how they were dealing with it. And the suicide rate of British military was hidden, right? Because you were having, you had 18 year olds going out to, into, horrific situations, right? And they were expected to psychologically deal with them, right? And, and, and adjust and then come back home after all that. And this has been going on for years, you know? I mean, back in the day, and it was interesting, I had a conversation with somebody. Um, and uh, he was a colonel and nameless. And we, we were talking about it and saying that, like, you know, after the First World War, there was, there was the British Legion, right? And the British Legion, some of you may know or may not know, it was a club. And it was a, it was a club for ex-military, um, for Navy, for, for uh, Air Force, for Army. And you could go there and you could talk with people who'd been through the same experiences as yourself, all from the, the same kind of community, you know? And... Um, and you could relate and you could talk to these people without, and, and then being understanding as to like what you'd gone through, right? And that kind of went, you know, after the Second World War and the way the British military changed, you know, suddenly you didn't have soldiers that were coming out of the same community. You had soldiers, you had people joining regiments and regiments being amalgamated. And when the people, they came, you came out off active duty and you went home, there was nobody in the British Legion you could relate to, or very few people, and, you know, you tend to drift towards isolation. And in isolation, the darkness can take over. And, you know, and we let our military down so badly, you know, so badly. And we disregard them. We will chastise them, and we will hound them, and we will put them in front of tribunals, but people don't know what it's like to be at war and to be in situations like that. 
And I don't want to go into specific details. I don't want to go too detailed on this anyway, because it is something that should be done in an open conversation rather than a one-way traffic thing. But um, we let our people down. We, are, we sign people up. You know, we Forgotten Sons was, was written in Aylesbury. And I remember sitting in the unemployment benefit office in Aylesbury and there was all these guys coming out of the print works and like, what are you going to do? I'm going to join the army. Do you realise what you're going to do? And um, do you realise that, you know, it ain't just kind of, you know, skiing in Norway and going scuba diving and, you know, in, in Belize or whatever. You know, there's a whole other thing to it. And, you know, it, it's a hell of a position to be in life. And like I said, when I was in Bosnia, I just touched it. I, I just, I only touched it, right? And... You know, I never had any of the experiences, but I took the stories in and and I wanted to write about it. And, and Wes, when I spoke to Wes about it, you know, he was totally up for the idea. And I wanted to write about a soldier coming back from active service that was kind of disregarded, that was left unprotected, that was left to basically fend for themselves. I mean, the number of, you know, ex-military that are actually homeless people now is frightening, you know? And, I mean, the mental health support in this country is desperate at the best of times. It's been underfunded. You know, the funds have been cut by the UK government, you know, especially by the Tory government, over years and years and years and years and years. And, you know, when I was a kid, there were institutions that people could go to. I mean, I remember there were military institutions that where ex-soldiers could go to. I mean, when you think about the whole post-traumatic syndrome wasn't even really kind of touched until the First World War. Shell shock, right? You know, was it was completely misunderstood. And there's a massive hospital in Edinburgh where um, two of the greatest poets that ever um, um, came out of the First World War, Siegfried Sassoon and uh, Wilfred Owen, they actually met there while they were both suffering from shell shock that, that they did, that had incurred at the Somme in 1916. And... Um, and I wanted to write a song about soldiers, about, you know, it was, it was difficult because, you know, I had, I wasn't in the army. I wanted to be a soldier. I wanted to. And I've always had um, a great respect, which developed in an even bigger way when I went to Bosnia twice and Kosovo, right? And, um, and it, was, it was this, I was going to take you through and this was kind of the inspiration. When I was in Bosnia, I met some, met some guys from the SES and a couple of us became great friends. And on the actual recording of Pilgrim's address, um, there were two uh, SES soldiers, friends, friends of mine, that came up and they did the voice, the voices on, the spoken voices, right? But this was the... Uh, You'll get that. That was the inspiration that was given to me by friends of mine. And it says, we are the pilgrims, master. We shall go always a little further. And that's kind of the principal inspiration behind it all. That was me in Brunei. With a couple of friends who took me out there. I'll tell you that story after, right? But um, that was the basis of the story. And I just wanted to write a kind of 
a Universal Soldiers song that was about, you know, don't ignore us. You know, we're all a lot of people. I mean, it can be... We're all a lot of people. But as I said, you know, the way we treat the military nowadays is just... Shameful. I'm going to put this on. This was recorded in Oslo. And this was Wes. And John Mar uh, Steve Barnacle was on bass. John Martyr on drums. John Martyr, who has been kind of put down, especially by some of the, the Murillo guys in, in, on, in, during that Fugazi time in the Rush thing. John was a brilliant rock drummer. And this is one of his finest moments. Just complete and utter feel. And it was like when I played Jungle Ride last week. This is the live version. The, the Fellini Days album version is a great song. It's really well recorded, but this has got the passion in it, right? And as I said, it was about... Um, it's about being a soldier and coming home and basically the soldier turning around and just saying, like, you know, just listen to me. You know, just give us some help here, right? Because we need it. Right. And I love singing this song. The the ramp, what, what you call the ramp of the song, where you when you're trying to take that, when you're trying to take a song up the dynamics, you know. On the album, it starts low and doesn't really get there. This one starts pretty high. It's your, I'm in your face from the from point one, and um, three. Four. And um, I give this to anybody in the military that's watching tonight. It's uh, and um. Wes and I were really proud to write this and um, it touched a lot of people. This is called Pilgrim's Address. This is a song that's written from the point of a soldier. Yep. Because we do forget about the soldiers and what they actually do. And this is a song I give to and this is also who's served in a uniform. For Cara Alme. Welcome tonight. You know what I mean? This is called The Pilgrim's Address. Just be honest I've heard that speech is free 
It's on a cross of stone It's in the past 
John Martyr on the drum kit here. Yeah, that was uh, Oslo Rockefeller, 2001. John Wesley just played out his heart that night. It was stunning. And I love, it's, it's got that kind of Steve Earle vibe to it, which is like kind of rocking. Yeah. yeah, Army, seen some strange comments coming up and stuff. And it was, uh, oh, it doesn't change my mind at all. And governments are very quick to send soldiers in and slow to bring them out and then very easily forget them when they come back. That's my point. I'd love to see, I've, I, you know, like I said, there's some parts of me, you know, I wish to join up. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what kind of person I would have become, you know. And I've had lots and lots of conversations. And uh, like I said, I've got a lot of friends in the army, a lot of friends on here. And um so, uh, you know, I'm not a piece of thing by any choice or by, by any any chance, or whatever. It's um, 
Um, I'd, you know, I'd love to see former soldiers employed. You know, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I mean, this is maybe a bit controversial. I mean, I, I could... It's in Switzerland. The, you know, and, and other countries, you know, they still have national service. And I don't think that's... I don't think that's a terrible idea. I don't mean to train everybody to kill or whatever, but I mean, I think, you know, apprenticeships, I mean, the army is not just soldiers, it's engineers, it's medics, it's electricians, it's radio operators. I mean, it's one thing I did find when I was in Bosnia, it's like there are a whole load of different areas of the army that you forget about. You think that everybody just carries a gun, they don't. And, um, and it's in Switzerland, you know, they don't train an offensive force, they train a defensive force. And they have soldiers working in their own areas and they, they know their own areas. So that if they're ever invaded, you know, just like in, in Vietnam, for example, um, one of the reasons why the Americans came unstuck over there was because they were dealing with, you know, they came from North America and went to a Southeast Asian country that they didn't really understand and it took them years to understand what it was. And that's what the Swiss do. And I don't know, there's, there's something in me thinks that, you know, maybe that's someone that would work in a, a place like Scotland where, you know, if you actually took young people that, that you know, have got no jobs and, and train them up in apprenticeships within the army and, and, and use those talents to actually benefit the community. I mean, some people might say this, very socialist, very communist. I think, you know, there's, I wouldn't call the Swiss communist. And, um, and they've adapted to it. And... Um, I don't know, there's maybe an argument for it, but like, you know, that's that's for an open discussion rather than kind of something coming up. But it's, uh, I'll take you on a funny one. Right? The last time I was out, I went to Brunei and it was uh, it was round about the, the time of the Oslo shows. I was going out with a, a lovely wee lady called Sarah Louise and I'd kind of come out with divorce and it was, uh, I wasn't in really in, a good state of mind to deal with a relationship, but we got together and you know, and we were great together for a while. And uh, but I think I scared her a little bit. <laughs> and anyway, what happened was, I got invited down to Brunei, and it was a kind of joint thing between um, uh, Shell, the oil company, and uh, BFBS and the. Um, BFPS was the, the broadcasting station and the, it was the, the crowd who were dealing with entertainment for the, the armed forces as well. The, the BF, BFPO. And um, they said, would you come down? And I said, yeah, and what do you want me to do? And they said, well, come down and play. I said, well, yeah, can I take Frank Usher? And they went, oh, we can't afford to take Frank Usher down and, and stuff and you have to go there. I said, well, I don't play guitar and I, I don't play keyboards. So it's like, you know... And they said, oh, we'll, we'll get somebody on the ground for you. And I'm going, well, okay, you know, I'm up for doing it and coming down and do, do a bit of entertainment. And, uh, and they said, well, we'll fly you and your girlfriend down. So I went, yeah, okay. And um, we flew down to Brunei and we ended up on the, the, the army base there, which is where they do a lot of um, the, the jungle training. And... Um, uh, between Belize and, and Brunei, um, it's, it's two of the, the main places for, for doing jungle warfare training. So, yeah, okay, and we're going to Michelle, and they were having a big 
it, it was a Highland, um, Highland gathering, right? And it was like all the expat Scots and stuff were going to be there. Well, yeah. So we flew down, landed in the place, and there was something that happened on the base. That there was like a, a problem, and they said, "Well, you're the place where you're going to be quartered in is going to be in this this house, which is down close to the beach." And we went, "Oh, beach house, right?" But between where we were staying and the beach was a kind of a, about a 40-yard, 50-yard tree break or, and, and brush and shit, right? And he said, the problem you're gonna, you've got is that in, in the house there's no water, right? And um, if you want a shower, you're going to have to go down to, like, basically the sports club, tennis club thing, the Shell Sports Club tennis club, where we were going to be... I was going to be dressed up in a kilt and going, you know, the Highland Gathering is opening, right? And be part of it all and shake hands with people, which was, like, cool. But, you know, my kind of main thing was, like, you know, we were going to be doing a gig for uh, the Armed Forces down there, just doing an impromptu kind of show. And um, it was wonderful, right? So Sarah Louise and I went down there and checked in, got in our place, and then the first day we had to go down to the, the Shell Club, <laughs> so we walked through all the scrub, right, onto this beautiful beach, right, and um, we had to walk about, a, it was about three-quarter a mile or something down to the Shell Club, which was nothing. You know, we just walked, it. you're walking on the beach. It was beautiful, it was really warm and sunny and the waves crashing and stuff. And we walked all the way down and there was a river that came through from the land side into the sea. And there was a bunch of people, there was some fishermen there fixing nets and there were some kids and stuff. And we went, hi, how are you doing? Da, 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 da. And walked across the river. And Santa Louise was a lot smaller than me, right? The water came up to about, you know, my kind of midriff, right? Sarah was kind of like a bit higher. Right? And we walked through and it was only about maybe 30 yards across a sand-bottomed river that crossed to another beach. And we had the shower and got cleaned up and then went back and came through the river again, right? And we did that three times and stuff. And it was like, it was cool. We never thought anything about it, right? It was just what we did. And, um, and Brunei being dry, right? It was, um, it, was, it was kind of weird. And you used to go to parties. And it was like being at a party when you were like 17-year-old, when there was like, there was like about maybe 50 tins of lager and beer on, on, and wine and stuff. That was, was on a table, but they were all different tins. You know, it wasn't like, you know, all Grolsch or anything like that. It was kind of like, you know, it was all different. Three tins of McEwen's and three tins of Carlsberg and like, you know, really strange and like, you know, and then bottles of gin. And we had a, we had a great time down there. And uh, I'll keep this kind of close because we're getting towards the end, right? But um, one of the, when I was down there, I bumped in a couple of people who knew a couple of people that I knew. And, uh, and they said, would you like to come out to the jungle with us and do, uh, and do a couple of, and do a, a, a night out in the jungle? And I went, it's me. I went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally unfit. 40 a day fag guy. Right. And I went out with this major and a sergeant and a couple of Gurkhas. And, um... Um, I got all dressed up and I had my leather hat on and I thought, this is great, this is going to be brilliant, no problem. Yeah, easy, easy, peasy. No, going out a night in the jungle. <laughs> so, 
they dropped us off, right, way up in the middle of this rubber plantation, right? We went up these, these roads, that, round and round and round. Went up to the, 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 you know, close to the top of the hill, right? And I remember the major turning around me, he said, oh, no name's Opacto, right? And he said to me, um, uh, are you sure you, you want to do this? He said, once, we, once this van leaves, he said, we won't be seeing this van again and we've got to walk across the other side. And I went, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah, me, <laughs> jungle, <laughs> easy peasy. <laughs> so, so I've got a backpack on. It weighed about maybe 30, 40 pounds. It was nothing, right? And it was, I had my, you know, the gear in it that I needed and stuff, like the, the hammock and shit. And I had a big a thing called a camel full of water, right? And I was slung over it, and I was really heavy as well. So we walked up, and there was like a wall of green. It was just a wall of green, right? And it was like, okay, right? And he goes, we're going in now. He said, uh, he said, you know, he said, you've got to be, um, uh, you know, if, if you start f feeling that it's getting a bit tough, let me know, right? I went, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm thinking, fuck, piece of piss. <laughs> we went in. And it was like that. <laughs> and they're going up and I'm hanging on to tendrils and hanging on this. And they had these fucking ants, fire ants, right? And they were tapping me, right? And they were, it was like, I mean, it was like, bang, yeah, bastard, right? And I literally got five metres up this hill and I was fucked. <laughs> and they're going, are you all right? And I'm like, this... The sweat is, I mean, it was like somebody turned a tap on, right? And the guy's going, you got to make sure you hydrate. And I'm in the camel. <laughs> I'm in the camel like that, drinking, right? And I was it, was, it was incredible. The humidity levels and the heat inside that foliage were, was just incredible. And um, and after about 10 metres, it's like, you know, they're up and they're saying like, you know, can we help you? If you can take this. Well, then... About half an hour, less than half an hour, we'd, I think we'd travelled horizontally, horizontally, about maybe five metres, right, <laughs> vertically. <laughs> and everything was off me. And all I had was the camel, right? All my gear was gone, right? It was getting carried by a couple of Gurkhas, right? and I'm feeling like a complete asshole, right? A real serious wimp doing this, right? I'm going, oh, no, right? And it was like, yeah, it was... It was ab it was shock. You cannot believe the shock to my system, right? And you know, and I was I, I was on the edge of desperation, right? I mean, it was like you know, and the Gurkhas, not a bead of sweat at them, right? And it was like you know, the, the major and the sergeant, right? And it was um, they, they were fine, you know, they were sweating, but like you know, like, you, you okay? Yeah, I'm. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm having a heart attack, and I don't want to say, I think I'm having a heart attack, right? I'm just going like, fuck. Inside my head, I was just going, fuck. <laughs> and we carried on and, and we eventually got to, to the, the bivouac point, which was, and following the ridges, it was like, you, you, you had no idea where you were. And they're, they're reading maps and stuff and, they, and they were teaching me, you know, they're going like, this is it, this is the ridge line and this is what you got to look out for. And, you know, the... I was learning. I mean, it was all going in, right? But in the meantime, it was like, fuck. <laughs> and we got all the way up and it was like, and darkness fell like an anvil, right? It was like, 
He said, "We better get, we better get our, uh, our our hammocks up." And we were tying the hammocks up to the to the tree, and it was like this tree and that tree. That's where you should go and stuff, right? And uh, and um, <laughs> we said that, and I climbed in, fell out three times. It was like it was just like the comedy stuff. <laughs> I never slept in a hammock before, right? So and I got into this thing, right? And it was like it was all set up, and as I said, it was like. Well, we better get something to get we'll set up for food and things now. And I'm going, yeah, yeah. Boof, darkness, complete darkness. And then we broke up the rods and the little magic light rods and things, and we poked them about. And we sat there and and, and we cooked our food. And like I said, there was only the the, the five of us, right? And uh, I'm going, I'm in the jungle. <laughs> I'm in a real jungle, right? <laughs> And, uh, and we're sitting there and we're eating our food out of the, the ration packs and things, you know. And I looked down and the entire forest floor was moving, right? It was moving. It was like r insect rush hour. <laughs> and it was these things. That if I'd found one of these things, one of these things in my kitchen, I would have completely freaked out and been at it, been at it with a baseball bat, right? And there was thousands of them, right? And it was a... Uh, and I'm going, and there were big, crawly, creepy, look, you know, monster things, right? And um, and we sat and had a brilliant conversation about a lot of the things I've just talked to you about on, on the run-up to Pilgrim's Address and stuff. And we had an amazing discussion about similarities between, between the music business and the army and being away from home and, and away from loved ones and being in situations and coming back home and, you know, and then, you know, as far as the music business goes, you know, it's nothing compared to, like, the army city stuff, right? And it was like, yeah, we need to go to bed. And it was only about, like, nine o'clock at night, right? <laughs> no wine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sitting, I'm sitting there smoking like crazy, going, oh, for fuck's sake, right? And you put grease on your... Um, you put grease on the hammock uh, uh, poles, right? Because of the, 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 the millipedes... That can that can give you a really nasty bite, if not kill you, right? With me, it would have, it would have killed me, right? A heart attack, I would have been dead, right? And they say, well, you got to put this up because of the millipedes, right? I'm going like millipedes, oh yeah, well yeah, that's what the millipedes do, right? I go fuck. Right? So we go to bed and like, and they they told me all about you know I've been I'm an ex forestry guy, so I know about you know branches hanging in trees and coming down in the wind and stuff. And he said, yeah, he said, in the tropical forest, in, in the rainforest, he said, like, you know, you've got to always check above you because, you know, when you're setting your bivouac up, because, you know, you can get these things that just come down, they'll kill you straight away, you know, like a ton of wood will just drop, you know, like that, right? And sure enough, in the middle of the night, we were laying in bed and all you heard was, it was like somebody dropped a house through the tree canopy. <laughs> right? And it was only about 30 yards away from us and I'm going, fuck, right? And then, and I'm sleeping, like, like the giant sleeping with one eye open, right? And I could hear this thing moving about. And I looked down and there was this animal that was like kicking about. I, don't, I can't remember what it was. They told me, I can't remember. I think it was the, the fear and the shock, right? And I'm looking down at this thing and I'm going like, fuck... And I think it was a it was a tree bear or something like that, right? It was, it was, I don't know what it was. I can't remember. So, like, as far as I was concerned, it was a Loch Ness monster, right? With fur, right? And you know, and the guy said in the morning, he said, "You know what?" He said, 
I've been doing these courses and I've been out here for years and years and years. I've never, ever, ever seen one of them. He says, you know, like, you're so lucky that you, you know, this is your first night in the jungle and you've actually seen this thing, right? And I'm going... It was a mixture of exhilaration, right? I mean, the adrenaline and, and everything and just... It was so out of my comfort zone, you would not believe. It couldn't have been any more out of my comfort zone, right? And we woke up in the morning and we had breakfast, right? And uh, and the thing was, the next morning when I woke up, I was fine. And we went diddly-bopping, you know, through the, the, the forest, right? And we were going up and down and I was fine. And it was like I completely acclimatised and I loved it. And it was great and it was like, you know, I had no problems and I was back carrying a pack again and stuff like that. And... um and it was great, and we had to go up to a point right on the very top of the hill, and uh, he said, we're going to get met by a helicopter, right? And when we'd gone out, I'd taken my mobile phone and put it in a plastic bag because of the humidity, because somebody said, like, you know, look, it'll, it'll melt out there. You'll, you, you, it'll fuck, right? And I put my phone in, in, my, in, in my pocket in a plastic bag, and we got up to the top of this hill, and we looked out onto basically what was... Uh, uh, Malaya, and it was like looking at a field of broccoli. That's what I remember. It was just like broccoli, right? All the trees. It was. Just, it was so beautiful. It was. I think it was actually Sarawak, and um, and we were at the top of this hill that had an edge to the. There was a flat kind of bit of the, a plateau area, and it dropped down, like straight down, right, and. The Gurkhas, who were absolutely brilliant, right? They were setting up a T radio antenna, right, on the on the um, in, in the trees. So they're climbing up the trees and all the rest of it, setting up this T radio antenna so that we could contact um, uh, basically the helicopter control, right, um, and arrange the meeting, right. And my phone was actually on for some reason, and I went do 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 do, and I went oh what. <laughs> and I pulled it out of my pocket and I said, uh, excuse me, Major, but it's like, you know, I said, um, I've, I've got a signal here for the Malaysian radio, radio uh, network. He went, I didn't know you could do that here. Yeah. <laughs> he said, can I borrow your phone? I said, yeah, no problem. Right. And uh, he took my phone and he phoned up the the, the, the kind of ops, um, the, the helicopter ops, right? And it was all set up. And the Gurkhas were like going, brilliant, mate, brilliant. We don't have to set up this. We don't have to climb the trees to put the tea aerial up, right? So it was like, da da da. And everybody's going, like, oh, different. Oh, it's incredible. And we sat there on the hill and I was waka, 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 waka. And it was, uh, oh, what the hell was it? Uh, oh, was it, it wasn't Apache. It was the, the, the British model, forgotten. Anyway, this helicopter comes up, right? And it, it manoeuvres, right? And it comes sideways into the hill, right? And we've got to basically walk from the top of this plateau into, across, into the, 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 the cabin or, or the, the helicopter, right? And there's two guys sitting in the back who turned out to be, they, they come off a Royal Navy frigate and they were being given, uh, they were being shown around because the, the guy, right? <laughs> you know who you are. He was 
he was the helicopter pilot and he was a special forces helicopter pilot and he was just showing everybody around it like this is where we're at and stuff right and uh so we all climbed into the back of this helicopter that was hovering right on the edge of this little plateau right covered in shit right <laughs> and of course the helicopter pilot knew who i was because he'd been told right and he goes put my headphones on and he goes uh, alright and I'm going how are you doing oh, please meet you he said we are not going anywhere he said what football team do you support <laughs> so he said what football team do you support right and I says well what's your team and he goes I'm a jambo <laughs> heart supporter <laughs> I said I'm a hip supporter he says I know, right? And it says, before we go anywhere, you better sing us a song. <laughs> and it wasn't, that comes across as being threatening, it was quite comedic, right? He says, you better sing us a song, man, right? And I went, all right. He says, on you go, and he says, I'll sing you a song, right? And he took off, right? And it was like, and the whole thing, you know, you had the rotors fill and like it took the air on and oh, it was incredible, right? And I couldn't resist it. And I just stood in the car And everybody was laughing. And these two Royal Navy guys for the frigate were sitting in the back going, who the fuck is this? <laughs> they had no idea what was going on. Right? They're going, who, who are these people? Right? Who are these people? We've just picked up something from the jungle. And he flew us down. And the roars, like, really rocked, man. And the like the uh, the skids were basically about I reckon uh, three meters off this river, this muddied river. And as we went up the river, you could see all these crocs jumping into the river from the side. Right? I mean, it was like this was like my fantasy, right? And uh, and Mac took this uh, this flight up, and he took us up to a point, and there was a there was a, a, a there was a, a, a basket of heads, uh, sorry, skulls. And uh, it was like a, a huge cairn of skulls, right, that were at the side of the river. And, you know, and the guy said, yes, he said, those are from the Second World War. And he said, that was what the tribes took. And um, they're basically uh, Japanese soldiers. And you're like going like, what the, f you know? And it was like, it was it was another world for me, right? And I was like, and he said, we're going to land at the Shell Club, right? And uh, I went, yeah, that's cool, right? And he said, you can get a lift from there. I said, we'll send transport and pick you up. So like, da da da, and we went over the kind of base and went down the beach, right? And as we're flying down the beach, right? He said, can you see those shapes in the water, right? And I went. What shapes? Yeah, and I could see these kind of big, long shapes, like like little logs in the water just off the beach. And he said, those are saltwater crocodiles. He said, they're lethal. He said, uh, he said they're highly dangerous. And we went down by the golf club, right? And he said, yeah, he said, like, if you see the... He said, well, you, there's the golf course. And he said, there's the river that goes by the side of the golf course that comes out on the beach. And he said, that's route one for the saltwater crocodiles. <laughs> 
So every morning, Sarah Louise, we Sarah Louise and I have been walking across this river and it was we were wondering why the natives that were like kind of like there, the kind of locals were looking at us going like, who are these mad bastards? <laughs> and we were walking across Route 1 for saltwater crocodiles from the golf course to the sea. Right? It was absolutely stunning. It was... Uh, that's that's just one of the stories. It was, uh, but I love it, and it's uh, and Mac, you know, he, he was a brilliant. And I, we had a wonderful time down there. There's, there's a whole other element to that story and stuff. It was the first time I ever did stand-up comedy. I actually, thank you, darling. It was, uh, it was the first time because I went on and played with this guy. That's another story. I'll keep it for another day. But, it's, um, but I, I want to end on something because it's like you know, it's first anniversary. Sorry. My straps become undone. Slanger. I found this the other day and I hadn't played it for years. And I thought, why not? What have I done with it? It's the first anniversary. I've gone a bit over time. I hope nothing's getting burnt in the oven. Tin. This next segment of the show has strobe lighting and flashing photography. Please be aware. Happy first anniversary. Guess where we're going. Because there's something in the air We got to get together sooner or later Because the revolution's here And you know Flash photography, about to happen. Turn the volume up a wee bit, I think. Mum won't be okay with that. The streets and houses We got to get together sooner or later The revolution's here and you know it's right Chats 
now. Disco dog. Flash photography warning. Oh God, my eyes. <laughs> my eyes. <laughs> I go. Thank you very much. 52 shows. Thanks for staying with us. And for all your support and everything, you know, you brought to the party as well. See you next week. Good night. Stay safe.